This is Andrew Womack, and this is the first tape in a series, a four-tape series that I'm doing entitled, God Wants You Well. And I am really excited to be sharing with you the scriptures and the truths that God has given me on this subject of healing. Let me be the first to admit that I do not know everything that there is to know about healing. I've grown a lot in this area, and this is an area that I consider to be a real strength in my life. It's now been 34 years since I have had sickness when in my body. That doesn't mean that I've never had a problem. I've had like things like the flu attack me. I remember one time I was making uh, radio programs, and I had all of the symptoms of flu hit me. I mean, my sinuses stopped up, my nose ran. I began to have aches, chills, fever, all within a very short period of time. But it took me an hour And I prayed over it, and it was gone. And those are the kind of things I've dealt with. Probably the worst sickness that has hit me in 34 years is one time I came home from England, and I'd been 34 hours without sleep. I was building a pond, and some things had happened with my drain. I had to get down in chest-high water, and I was so weak and tired from no sleep, I was just depleted and standing in that cold water for about six hours working on some things, which was uh, stupid, but nonetheless, I got a runny nose from that, and I was able to overcome the runny nose in just about a day's time, 24 hours' time. I had um, my ears plugged up for a couple of days, but I mean, it to the outside observer, I'm not even sure that they could tell that anything happened, and that is the worst thing that has happened to me in 34 years. I've uh, been able to overcome things. I At the very beginning of that period of time I'm talking about, I actually was diagnosed with an incurable disease, and within three days the same doctor that pronounced me having this disease pronounced me whole because I received prayer and got healed. And I have seen God heal me of a number of things. The reason I'm saying all of this is to say that, no, I don't know everything that there is to know about healing, but I do consider this to be a strength in my life, and I offer the things on this tape as things that are working with me. And I know by even saying that I don't understand everything that there is to know about healing and that I I don't know at all, that is going to make me subject to some people just writing off these things because I've started with a disclaimer saying I don't know it all. And there's some people that will just um, use that as a reason not to even listen to these things. But let me preface my remarks by saying this. Even though I don't claim that I have a full revelation, I'm still receiving a lot. And of course, I'm only sharing a very small portion of what God has shown me in this four-tape album. And so there's a lot more that I know that I won't be communicating here. I'm going to be referring to other tapes that I have and things like this that will be complementary to this, and I already have teachings out on this. So rather than try and make one exhaustive teaching on the subject of healing, I'm going to refer to other things. This will be just very foundational stuff. And so even though I don't know it all and that this is just a portion of the things that God has shown me, I want to say this, that Lest somebody just rejects the teaching and the things that I really believe God has shown me on this subject of healing, you need to consider this, that I have been walking in divine health personally for a long time, and I've had things happen to me. I mean, I've 
I've been hurt. Um, I've had a lot of things I could go on. It's not like I haven't had sickness attack me. It's not like I have not had any problems. I have overcome it. I have seen health work in my own physical body. And I have prayed with multitudes of other people. I've seen blind eyes open, people who were partially blind, eyesight improve. I've seen people who were totally blind, couldn't even see light. And I've seen their eyes open. I've seen a lot that I've prayed for that didn't see an instant manifestation. But I have seen blind eyes open. I've seen totally deaf people heal, people that didn't even have eardrums that were surgically removed, people that their eardrums had deteriorated and God restored their hearing. I've had people with uh, their larynx gone that couldn't even talk, receive a miracle and start speaking in tongues. I've seen uh, uh, thousands of people healed of arthritis, all kinds of pains. I saw a man with a metal rod in his back that made him stand up straight. He was healed and was able to bend over, which just physically was impossible. I've seen people come out of wheelchairs. We've seen deformities healed, uh, hands from arthritis straightened out, uh, a woman with a foot that she was deformed, couldn't walk normally, healed. Um, we've seen people raised from the dead. I've seen three people personally raised from the dead, one being even my son who was dead for five hours, and God brought him back from the dead. He had already turned black, and uh, anyway, that's quite a long story. So uh, what I'm saying, I'm not saying any of these things to promote myself or to pump myself, but I'm saying that anybody who says, well, you've already admitted you don't understand everything about healing and that there's times that you pray for people and they aren't healed. And so, therefore, if you reject the truths that I'll be sharing on these tapes because of that, let me just preface by saying that until you get to where you are having better results than I have and you found something that works better, then I think that you ought to seriously consider the things that I'm sharing. Again, I'm not sharing this in an arrogant way at all, but I'm saying that this is an area of my life that works. I have seen so many people heal, tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of people that I have ministered to personally. I've taught other people, and I've seen these truths work for them. I've had many ministers that have told me that they got a revelation of the things that we're talking about and that they have seen nearly every single person they pray for healed. And, of course, they've seen multiple people raised from the dead. And so on and on it goes. So I offer these things not as I've got it all figured out, but I know I'm going in the right direction because I have seen the power of God work. And I don't guess I can convince a person who is already prejudiced against healing and will not consider what the Word says. But for any person who is desiring to really know about the divine healing that is available through Jesus Christ and through faith in what he's done, I believe that the things that are on these tapes could literally change your life. At the very least, they could bring you to a level of success and victory in this area of healing equal to what God has given me. And again, I don't claim that I've got it all, but it is working pretty well, and not only for me, but for people that I minister to. And I believe that this is really going to help you. Also, let me say this, that as we start this teaching on healing, there's a lot of people that have criticized me for putting an emphasis on healing, and they say that, you know, this isn't important. You don't have to be healed to go to heaven. 
and that you shouldn't spend any of your time on radio, television, or tapes, anything, to emphasize healing. That is a secondary issue. You are promoting and making it greater than what it is. And I've been criticized for that. I even had a man send me a letter one time, and he sent it to the radio station. They forwarded it on to me, and he was threatening legal action against me because he thought it was that big of a sin that I'm taking money that is hard to come by, and I'm preaching something like healing. My answer to that is twofold. I'm going to be talking on this tape about how that healing is a part of the atonement of Christ. Therefore, if it's something that Jesus died for to atone for us, if he took the stripes for our physical healing on his back and suffered for it, then that doesn't make it incidental or insignificant. If Jesus thought enough to purchase my healing, then I ought to think enough of it to receive it. And I understand the logic. I've heard it before. Uh, about how people say that that is just wasting time to talk about healing, but I certainly do not agree with that at all. Jesus thought it was important. God the Father caused his Son to bear our sins and our sicknesses and our diseases just as much as our sins. So therefore, it honors him to promote healing. Jesus spent more time talking about healing than he did some things that people consider to be just essential. Heaven and hell issues. Actually, the Lord used healing like a bell to get people's attention to prove that he did have power on earth to forgive sins. Let me just use one scriptural example to illustrate this, and there are many. But in Mark chapter 2, Beginning with verse 1, it starts talking about how that when Jesus was coming to Capernaum, many people heard that he was there. There was crowds come together. And uh, this is the instance where they tried to bring in a man who had the palsy, who was on a stretcher. They couldn't get into the crowd, so they took him up on the top. They took the tiling off and literally dropped this man's couch down in front of Jesus. And it says in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, that when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But when he said this, in verse 6 it says, But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye? These things in your heart, whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. But did you know that actually it's impossible in the natural realm, barring the fact if Jesus wasn't God, it would be impossible to say, Rise up and walk, or to say, Your sins are forgiven you. Only God can forgive sins, and man in their physical ability do not have the power to produce healing. And so actually both of those things were accomplished to do. But if you're just talking about which is the easiest to say, it's actually the easiest to say your sins be forgiven you. Because you can't see sins. You can't see if a sin is forgiven, dealt with. So as far as just saying something, it's easier to say your sins be forgiven you. And a person may say, well, you can't do that. Well, you say prove that I can't. And so I think that the point that Jesus is making here is he saying, which is the easiest to say? Well, the easiest to say is to say your sin's forgiven you. Because if you say, rise up and walk, 
Well, then he either rises up and walks and you prove that you have the power or he doesn't. And so saying rise up and walk, take up your bed and walk is actually harder because instantly there is going to be physical evidence that it worked or it didn't work. And so the point is that if you can do the greater work, the harder things, certainly you can do the less. If you could jump 15 feet, well, then certainly you could jump two feet. If you can do the greater, then certainly you can do the least. And that's the point that Jesus was trying to make. And so this kind of just made the people, you know, they were standing there in silence. They didn't know how to respond. And Jesus said this in Mark chapter 2, verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. So Jesus made it very clear that the reason he healed this man was so that people would know that he had power on earth to forgive sins. Jesus used healing as a verification that he had power to deal with the unseen things. If he could deal with the physical bodies and meet the physical, emotional needs of people, then he could also deal with the spiritual needs of people. And Jesus used healing like a bell to draw people, to get their attention, to come and hear, and then he would tell them the truth. Jesus also said in a number of occasions, but I think one of them was in John chapter 5, he was saying that I have a greater witness than that of John the Baptist. And he says the greater witness are the works, the miracles that I do. So he said that the miracles were a greater testimony to who he was and his power and his authenticity, the fact that he was the real deal. Miracles were a greater witness to that than the preaching of John the Baptist. Today you will hear some people say that we don't need miracles today. We have the word of God. And yet that's not the message that the Bible teaches. In Mark chapter 16, some of the very last instructions that Jesus gave his disciples before he went back into heaven, before he was caught up into heaven, he told them to go and preach the gospel. And then in verse 17, Mark 16:17, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And then in verse 19, it says, So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. In other words, God used miracles to confirm that it was really him speaking through these people. And it says here, he confirms the true preaching of the word of God with signs following. I could truthfully say this, that if the ministers of the gospel today do not have the miraculous power of God flowing through them, then you should be skeptical about whether this is truly God speaking through them. Now, I am not saying that a person who doesn't have healings manifest in their miracle is not of God. That's not what I just said. 
But I am saying that that is God's system. When the true word is preached, there will be signs and wonders following. We live in a day and age where salvation has been corrupted and it's been divided into parts and people are preaching only the forgiveness of sins and God will confirm the word that we preach. If all you preach is on spiritual, eternal values, forgiveness of sins, then that's all you're going to see happen is people forgiven of sins, born again. But if you were to preach the whole counsel of God, God will confirm the complete preaching of his word with miracles. So that is the norm. That is the way that God established it. The scripture says this is the way it should be. Not every true man of God sees miracles, but it's because they aren't preaching the whole counsel of God. There's some people that I respect very much who have been faithful with the revelation that they've got, and they have seen lives changed and miracles done, and I would not sit there and say that they are not of God, that they aren't men of God, but I would say they aren't preaching the whole counsel of God because it is God's will for the whole counsel of God to be preached, and he will confirm it with signs and wonders following. Here's another scripture that goes along with that. Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 3, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So this says that God confirmed the word that Jesus preached with miracles and also his disciples when Jesus was taken out of this world and they took over the ministry God also confirmed the word that they spoke with signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Now here's a thought. If Jesus and the early apostles who were operating in the power of God, I believe greater than what we see happening today, certainly Jesus operated in a fullness and in a manifestation of God's power that I don't think anybody today can claim that they are as good at it. And if they had to have the message they preached confirmed with signs and wonders following, who do we think we are to think that somehow or another we have a superior anointing, a superior ability, and we don't need miracles today? If you stop and look at it that way, that is quite an arrogant statement. If Jesus and the early apostles needed miracles to confirm the message that they preached, then praise God, we do too. And I tell you, if the body of Christ was truly presenting not only the fact that God wants to forgive us of our sins, but that he also loves us and wants to heal our bodies and bless us financially and deliver us from depression and discouragement, if they were preaching a whole counsel of God like that, we would make a much greater impact on our world today. I think one of the things that has rendered the modern-day church ineffective and rendered it irrelevant in many people's eyes is because they have only preached that God is for the hereafter. They have made relationship with God a heaven and hell issue. They haven't preached that God loves us right now, that God wants to give us a dynamic, absolute, victorious life right now. They haven't preached healing. They haven't preached prosperity. They haven't preached deliverance from demonic things. And so, 
Many people, matter of fact, most of the people that I deal with, they know that God exists. In the United States, I think that the statistics I've seen are that 85% of the United States population believes that there is a God. And yet, there is roughly around anywhere from 10 to 15% of the population that attends church on a regular basis and that would have enough evidence to convict them if they were arrested for being a Christian. I mean, there is a huge gap between the people who say that they believe God exists and then people who have a vibrant relationship with God. Why is that? Why is it that so many people know God exists but don't seem to persevere to the point that they obtain this relationship and make God the center of their life? There's probably multiple answers, but I believe one of the obvious answers is that the church has presented relationship with God as a heaven and hell issue. Just get your sins forgiven so that you won't go to hell. And even though all of that is true, that you do have to have your sins forgiven to escape hell, that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to lose, even though I believe all of that, most people are living in such a hell in this life. They are under strife, divorce, sickness, uh, you know, all kinds of things going on, fear in the world. And they haven't seen that the Lord deals with those areas. They think that God is for the hereafter. And they're short-sighted. They should be thinking about eternity, but they aren't. And because they are so occupied with trying to struggle through all of the terrible things going on in their life right at this moment, they know God exists, but they put that off for right before they die because they don't see the relevance of God to their present day life. But if the church was representing that God will heal you, God will keep you healthy, God will deliver you from depression, from discouragement, from the despair, from the strife that you find yourself in, God will prosper you in a way that you could never prosper just through your own effort. See, if we presented that God is not only for the forgiveness of sins, but for all of these areas then it would bring God into being relevant to our everyday life. But there are many churches today, and I I use that term loosely in quotation, many Christian churches that if a person came to them and they were sick, they'd say, well, go to the doctor. Why are you coming to me? If a person comes to them and they're poor, they'd say, well, have you checked with the government agencies? Have you tried welfare yet? If they come and if they're depressed and discouraged and under demonic oppression, they would refer them to some kind of a psychiatrist or a professional and prescribe some kind of a medication. But that is not the attitude that God would have us to have. The church should be meeting the needs of people. And our lack of doing so is one reason that many people see the church as irrelevant to their present Life. They don't doubt the existence of God. They just don't see the relevance. Until they get ready to die, they don't see why they need God. And, of course, that's wrong, but I'm saying that that is the thinking. So, for those who object to putting an emphasis on healing, I am following the example of Jesus. Jesus did it. God the Father used miracles to show people that Jesus had power on earth to forgive sins. And this made the message of God being able to deal with our sins and eternal issues, it proved the validity of it. And that's the way that God did it. And so I am following a good precedent. Also, it sends a terrible signal. 
when you tell people that God doesn't care about the healing of their bodies. And uh, there are many people today who actually preach that God puts sickness on you, which is absolutely untrue. And I'm going to be doing everything I can to dispel that and to do away with that teaching. But when the church, see, has presented that, that sends a terrible signal. My dad died just about a month after I turned 12 years old. And he was in a coma for a period of time before that. And so it was a grueling experience. When I was only 11 years old, he was on the verge of death. And uh, I went through all of that. And the church that I grew up in said that God put that sickness on him. It was God's will that he died. Now, I didn't rebel because of that. But I could give you examples of many people I've talked to. Some of them are even very famous people. I'm not going to call names, but there are some very famous people that I've read about in national publications who at one time, they knew that there was a God. They believed there was a God. They sought him. And then a sister died and the religious people said God did this. And it turned this person I'm thinking about against God. Today, they're a very outspoken atheist. And they cite that example that you can't tell me that if there is a God, he would put sickness on people. It sends a wrong message. It turns many people against the Lord. It embitters many people to the Lord. It is a wrong representation of God. And so I believe for that reason, yes, healing does need to be emphasized and the truth does need to be spoken. And I tell you, I am not trying to elevate healing above forgiveness of sins, but I'm not trying to diminish it below forgiveness of sins either. And I know that that's an offensive statement to some people, but this brings me to one of my main points. And that is that healing is not just an add-on. It's not just an added benefit that only happens sometimes, but it is an essential part of what Jesus came to do. Jesus died for our forgiveness of sins, and he died for the physical healing of our body. Another way of saying this is, that Jesus purchased healing for us just as he purchased forgiveness of sins. It's all a part of Christ's atonement. Now, I know that that is not a mainstream doctrine today, but that's one of the reasons that so very few people operate in healing is because they look at it as certainly God could heal if he wanted to, but they don't see that God has already redeemed us from sickness and disease. They look at it as something he can do, but they don't know for sure that it's his will. If you recognize that healing is a part of the atonement, then you'll recognize that the Lord has already healed us. He's already purchased that. The power has already been generated. Healing is a done deal, and it is available to us exactly the same as forgiveness of sins is. Now, again, I know that these are radical statements, but let me show you some things that will prove that. The Greek word that was translated save and saved, kind of an all-encompassing word for salvation, you know, hundreds of times in the New Testament is the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O. And it literally means to save, that is, deliver or protect, literally or figuratively. 
But when you look at the way that the word was translated, it's very obvious that this deliverance and saving is not only from sin, but it's also from physical problems. Like, for instance, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Not just the world to come, but this present evil world. That's a tremendous statement. And again, many people see what Jesus produced as only affecting the spiritual eternal realm. And because of that, we come up with songs like, When we all get to heaven, what a day that will be. And even though I'm not diminishing that it's going to be glorious in heaven, Jesus also came to deliver us from this present evil world, not just the one to come. The word save here isn't only talking about he saved us from hell. He saved us from our sins and future punishment. But Jesus also came to save, deliver, and protect us in this physical world. There are 38 times that the word sozo was translated save in reference to the forgiveness of sins. I'm not going to take time to list all of those, but you can search this out and Find it. Some examples are Matthew 1, 21, 1 Corinthians 1, 21, Hebrews 7, 25. There's just a lot of them. There are also 53 times that this same Greek word sozo was translated saved, past tense, S-A-V-E-D, referring to forgiveness of sins. But there were also times that this exact same word was translated healed. For instance, in Mark chapter 5, verse 23, where it was talking about Jairus' daughter. Jairus is the ruler who came to Jesus and asked Jesus to come heal his daughter. And it says in Mark 5:23 that Jairus besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. That word healed right there is this Greek word sozo. And it's referring to physical healing. It's obvious. And the story goes on that the little girl actually died and Jesus raised her from the dead. And that was referring to physical healing, physical resurrection from the dead. Also in Luke chapter 8, verse 36, it says, They also which saw it told them by what means he that was possessed of the devils was healed. Now, this is talking about the man who is commonly called the Gadarene demoniac, who is, you know, bound with chains and nobody could hold him. He'd just break the chains. Jesus set him free. And it says here in Scripture, Luke 8 36, that he that was possessed of the devils was healed. That word is sozo. It's, again, the word that is used for forgiveness of sins, but that exact same word is also applied to physical healing. That's the second instance I've given you. And the third here is in Acts chapter 14, verse 9. This is talking about a cripple that Paul healed when he prayed for him. In Acts 14.9, it says, The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. This is talking about Paul beheld this man who was going to be healed, and he perceived that he had faith to be healed. That word healed there is the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O, the same word that was used talking about forgiveness of our sins. This same word was also translated save in reference to healing. And the save here was definitely talking about more than just forgiveness of sins. It was talking about healing. 
A classic example is James chapter 5, verse 15. And it says there, the prayer of faith shall save. That's sozo, the sick, the same word that was used for forgiveness of sins. And the Lord shall raise him up, and if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So this is another reference talking about how the word for salvation, save, is talking about more than just forgiveness of sins, but rather it's talking about healing of your body. It goes on to say in Luke chapter 6, verse 9, Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Now, he was talking about healing a person on the Sabbath day. And when he was referring to healing this man, he says, Is it right for me to save this life? And he wasn't talking about just forgiveness of sins, but he was talking about healing of the body. This same word was translated made whole in reference to healing. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 21, it says, She said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. That was the woman who had the issue of blood and came up and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And she used this word sozo, the Greek word sozo, which was synonymous with forgiveness of sins. She also applied that same word to being healed physically. The same thing is said in uh, verse 28 of Mark chapter 5. This is that same instance recorded in Mark's gospel, but it's a different instance. She said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Again, that same word was used. It was translated made whole eight times in scripture. Matthew chapter 9 verse 22, it says, but Jesus turned him about. This is that same instance of the woman with the issue of blood And when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was whole from that hour. The word for whole in both of those instances is sozo, the same word that was used for forgiveness of sins, showing that all of this Greek word is not limited to forgiveness of sins. The same thing is done in Mark chapter 6, verse 56. When it says, And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were but the border of his garment, and as many as touched him were made whole. That's that Greek word sozo. Another one about Jairus' daughter, it says, But when Jesus heard the pronouncement that Jairus' daughter was dead, it said he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. This again was referring to her physical body, and yet it was this Greek word sozo. So the point I'm making through this is that the word for salvation does not only mean forgiveness of sins. It literally means forgiveness of sins, healing of your body. Those are the scriptures that I've emphasized, but if you were to study it on out, it also is translated deliverance. In uh, Acts, I believe, chapter 13. And it also means financial prosperity. So the Greek word for salvation does not refer to only forgiveness of sins. That's the way it's been interpreted and presented by the modern day church. But that is a misrepresentation of what Jesus did. Jesus did not only die for the forgiveness of our sins. It includes that, and that is certainly a centerpiece of what he did. I'm not minimizing the forgiveness of our sins, but I'm saying at the same time that he bought and purchased our redemption from sin, he also freed us from sickness, he also freed us from depression, deliverance from the devil, and he also freed us from poverty. 
Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says that Jesus became poor so that we through his poverty might be made rich, and on and on goes. This is where the denomination called the four-square gospel comes from. They literally go to the Greek word sozo that was translated save, saved, salvation, all of these different ways, and they look at what the word literally means. It means forgiveness of sins, healing of your body, deliverance from all kinds of demonic oppression, depression, and financial blessing and prosperity. And so they have a four-square gospel. That's what it comes from. And the word literally means all of that. Jesus didn't just die for our sins and then Healing is something he could do if he wanted to. But no, he paid for the healing of our body as completely as he paid for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, I know that to some people that is a very offensive statement, but I believe that that is backed up in Scripture. Let me give you some scriptural references that put forgiveness of sins and healing of our body In the exact same verse, it claims it all as the one atonement of Jesus, that Jesus purchased it all at one time. And this is a different concept than what our modern-day church is presenting. Psalms chapter 103, verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Verse 3, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth, All thy diseases. Right there is in the same verse, it says he forgives all our iniquities and heals all of our diseases. It put them together in the same verse. Here's another witness that would go right along with that. And that's out of 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. It says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body, on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. It talks about he bore our sins. We being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. It puts forgiveness of sins and healing of our physical body in the same verse. The scripture does not separate what Jesus did into, well, let's just talk about forgiveness of sins. I've had people tell me that before and say, look, let's not talk about healing, deliverance, prosperity. Let's just focus on forgiveness of sins. That's the part that everybody can agree on. That's what is part of the atonement and all of these other things are like fringe benefits. I tell you, I believe that that is an offensive concept to God. Look at it this way. If I came and somehow or another I could die for you and literally take your sins and forgive your sins, if I could have been Jesus, I can tell you that if I not only died for your sins, but if I also bore stripes on my body to produce healing for you, and if I was separated from God so that you would never have to be separated, if I became poor so that you through my poverty might be made rich, and if I did all of these things, And then for you to come and say, well, I thank you for what you did, but you know what? I'm only going to take one-fourth of it. I'm going to say that the forgiveness of sins is the most important, and that's what I really want to focus on, and I'm not going to take advantage of the healing of my body, the deliverance from all the oppression and depression and the financial blessing. I just don't want those things. You did more than enough for me, and so I'm going to humble myself and only take one-fourth of what you did. 
That wouldn't please me. It would make me feel like, well, then what was the point in me doing these other things? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For what purpose? It's not only so that people wouldn't go to hell, but it was so that they could be saved, not only from sins, but from sickness, from disease. Again, I refer you to Galatians 1, 4, that it says, Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. And there's just many other scriptures that go along with it. If I suffered and did all of these things for you and you only took advantage of a portion of it, that wouldn't please me. Now, if I could be like God, I'm sure that I'd still love you, but it wouldn't please me. I'm not saying that God is angry with people, but it's disappointing, I'm sure, that God provided all of this for us and people aren't taking advantage of it. Basically, Christianity has preached that forgiveness of sins is all that Jesus atoned for. And, of course, since God is God, he could heal if he wants to, but that's like icing on the cake. That's extra. That isn't a part of the basic package. I'm saying it is. I'm saying that healing is in the atonement just as much as forgiveness of sins. And if you would look at it that way, then this would cause you to reject a lot of false teaching that like, say, for instance, God is the one who puts sickness on you. God causes people to die and things like this because God is trying to humble people, work some redemptive purpose, perfect them through all of this stuff. No, if Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins and for the healing of your body, and if they're all part of one atonement, well, then that means that Jesus would no more put sickness on you than he would lead you to sin. If you got that attitude and said, I won't submit to sickness any more than I will go out and yield to sin, then you know what? You would start seeing healing manifest in your body. One of the reasons that a lot of people don't see greater degree of healing is because they aren't committed to it. They embrace it thinking, well, this is just natural or even worse. Many times they're told that it's God making them sick. And the Bible makes it very clear in James chapter 4, verse 7, that you have to submit yourself unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The word resist means to actively fight against. How can you actively fight against the devil, sickness that comes from the devil, if you think God is the one that brings it? If Satan can convince you that God wants you sick, that it isn't a part of what he purchased, that he wants you to be sick, well, then you won't fight against it. You might ask for deliverance, but you won't fight against it and claim it and stand for it. But you need to get the same attitude towards sickness that you have towards sin. Now, I'm not condemning you if you get sick any more than I would condemn you if you sin. Christians are redeemed from sin. The power of sin has been broken over us, and we are dead to sin. We should not be living in sin. But you know what? There is forgiveness and there is grace if you sin. And so I'm not condemning you. I think every born-again Christian has had to deal with the fact that we have not lived up to what we want to do. And I am not condemning you for that. And likewise, I am not condemning a Christian who is sick. But I am condemning the attitude that would say sickness is something God wants for us. That attitude is just as bad as saying that sin is something God wants for us. That's wrong. No, Jesus redeemed us from sin, and he also redeemed us from sickness. Now, can you learn something if you go out and sin? 
You certainly can. You go out and take drugs, and uh, you could blow your mind. You can do stupid things. You can get in car wrecks. You can be arrested. Same thing with alcohol, sexual perversion. You can get sexually transmitted disease. You can learn something through that. You can learn that that's stupid. You can learn that there's something better to do. And yes, you could benefit from it. But did God want you to go get drunk and have a car wreck and kill somebody to teach you that you should be seeking him more? Now, you could learn that from that. But did God want you to do that? No. Nobody would say, God made me get drunk, made me get high, and made me kill this person so he could humble me. See, you wouldn't say that because we recognize, no, Jesus died to set us free from sin. I'm saying in the same way, Jesus died to heal your physical body. Therefore, he is not the author of the sickness that comes against you. In Acts chapter 10, it makes this very clear. This was the apostle Peter preaching to Cornelius, and he was preaching the gospel, of course, to Cornelius, and he was summarizing the life of Jesus, and he said this in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Notice it says that when Jesus went about healing people, that was good. Some churches today are saying that people who pray for people and claim that they're healed, that that's of the devil. Well, Jesus healed the sick, and it says that that was good. It brought glory to God. Things that bring glory to God and draw people closer to God is not of the devil. The devil is not out healing people. Jesus went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Notice that they were oppressed of the devil and not oppressed of God. God is not the author of sickness. He is not the one who makes you sick. That is not true. Look at this passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 53. Wish they had time to put it all in context, but this is definitely prophesying about the Messiah and what he would do. It starts in chapter 52. In chapter 53, it talks about he was... Let me just read in verse 3. It says, He is despised and rejected of man a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes... We are healed. Now, I've heard this scripture all of my life changed and interpreted in a way that says this isn't talking about physical healing. This is talking about emotional, spiritual healing, that in in a symbolic sense, we were all cripples. We were limping through life because of the damage sin had done in our life, and Jesus set us free from that. But if you study up the words in the Hebrew here, especially in verse 4, the Hebrew words that were used in Isaiah 53, 4, where it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Those words are referring to physical healing. Now, I could go into the Hebrew and show you that, but I tell you, here's a very simple way for those of you that aren't familiar with Hebrew. I know a little Greek and a little Hebrew. One runs a deli and the other one... Uh, owns a laundromat. (laughs) 
It's just a joke. But I'm saying that here is a way that even people that don't know Greek and Hebrew can learn this. In Matthew chapter 8, it says in verse 16, it says, When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be, this is verse 17, Matthew 8, 17, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. That is a quotation of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, where it says, He bore our sorrows and carried our griefs. In Matthew chapter 8, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, this is scripture. It interprets those griefs and sorrows as being infirmities and sicknesses. It makes it clear that it was not talking about spiritual, emotional healing. Now, it includes that, but it's specifically talking about the physical healing of our bodies. And you can see that by the context. It was when he cast all of these demons out and he healed all that were sick. And this was the fulfillment of that prophecy. And so Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5, where it says, in verse 4, that he bore our sorrows and carried our griefs. And then in verse 5, that by his stripes we are healed. That is not just referring to some kind of an emotional, spiritual healing. That is talking about the physical healing of our bodies and the interpretation or the commentary in Matthew chapter 8 verifies that. Boy, that is a powerful, powerful truth. I've already used over a dozen, maybe two dozen scriptures that clearly relate physical healing to being a part of the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, it's not optional. Therefore, it's incorrect to say, let's not preach healing. Let's just focus on the forgiveness of sins. That is dicing up, slicing up the atonement of Jesus into different parts and saying some parts of what Jesus did were important, others are unimportant. That is not true. It's all important. And we are not honoring God to pick and choose. We are presenting less than a true picture of the message of what God really wanted to communicate. We are not glorifying the Lord. Because of that, we've made the message of the gospel irrelevant to some people because they see it as only applying to the future and having no relevance to our present-day situation. And that is just absolutely incorrect. Here is another great verification that it is always God's will to heal us. In John chapter 5 and in verse 19, it says, Jesus was speaking, And then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself. But what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, talking about the Father, these also doeth the Son likewise. Now, if you put that together with Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, this is speaking about Jesus. It says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. This says that Jesus was the express image of the Father. That word express, if you look it up in the Greek, is talking about an identical copy, a perfect representation. 
And Jesus, of his own words, in John 5:19 says, I don't do anything by myself, but what I see the Father do. For what things soever he doeth the Father, that's what I'm doing. And Hebrews 1, 3 says he did it perfectly. It was an exact copy, a perfect representation. So just look at this. Look at the life of Jesus. Did Jesus ever make a single person sick? Never. There is not one example of Jesus ever putting sickness on a person. The modern day church that says God makes people sick, God puts sickness on people, and they use that, that is completely contrary to the image, the representation that Jesus gave of his father. And he said, I represented him perfectly. I am a perfect representation of the father. And yet not one single time did Jesus ever make a person sick. Never one time did Jesus refuse to heal a person. Now, there are a couple of times, and I'll deal with this later, where people refused to receive healing from Jesus, but it wasn't because he didn't want to do it. It was because they wouldn't receive it. There isn't one single time that Jesus said, no, God wants you sick. Never. He never laid hands on a person and gave them sickness. The modern day church is saying God is the one who makes people sick. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not the representation that he gave. And therefore, those who are saying that God is the one who makes people sick are not representing God in the same way that Jesus represented God. That's just it. You can say it any way you want to, but um, that is not the way that Jesus represented God the Father. There are 17 times in the gospel where Jesus healed all of the sick that were present. And I'm not going to take time to go through and give you all of those, but if you want to study this out on your own, uh, I've got this in a study Bible that I've written, the Gospels edition of our Life for Today study Bible. And uh, this is note one at Matthew 8:16. And so uh, anyway, you can go study this out on your own. These are 17 separate instances Sometimes things are duplicated in the different gospel accounts because they're recording the same stories. But there are 17 times that Jesus healed every single person present. There are 47 other distinct times in the gospels where Jesus healed at least one or two people at a time. And again, those things can all be found in this footnote at Matthew 8:16 in our Life for Today study Bible. But you cannot find one instance where Jesus refused to heal a person or ever put sickness on a person. You put this together with Acts chapter 10, verse 38, where it says Jesus went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And I tell you, that makes it very clear that God was not the author of the sickness. God is the author of the healing. Another thing that would verify this is in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 28. It lists the blessings and the curses that come upon a person for obeying or either disobeying the law. And if you want to take Deuteronomy chapter 28, there are a total of 68 verses in that chapter. The first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28 talk about the blessings that will come upon you if you obey God and follow him. Now, I'm not going to take time to teach on this right now, but actually this needs to be interpreted some for us in the New Covenant because 
through the new covenant, we don't have to keep all of the law to receive the blessings of God. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law so that the blessings could come upon us by faith. That's what it says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. But nonetheless, Deuteronomy chapter 28 shows the blessings in verses 1 through 14 and then the curses in verses 15 through 68. And you'll find that sickness is a curse. Health is a blessing. It's just like if you had a chalkboard and on the left side you write blessings at the top. On the right side you write curses. You draw a line down the middle. Sickness would be put on the curse side Health would be put on the blessing side. And yet, the church today is reversing this and saying, oh no, it's really a blessing that God gave me this sickness. That's not true. Now, can some good come out of people being sick? Certainly there can. Just as the example I gave about a person could go out and commit murder, sin, and do something terribly wrong, and yet through that recognize that, you know what? Man, my life is totally out of balance. I am a messed up person. I must be demon-possessed. They could turn to God. They could be saved and delivered. I've actually talked to people who are in prison for murder that on death row they turned to the Lord and got born again. They've written in to my radio programs and have told me these things. So God used murder to bring them to the end of themselves and cause them to be born again, and their whole life is changed, and they are gloriously saved, and they are serving God. I think everybody can see that that could happen, but is it correct to say that God caused them to go commit that murder? No, that was not God. I can guarantee you God tried to put restraints on them. He put obstacles in their way. I know for certain that these two young boys that entered into the Columbine High School and killed I think it was 13 kids and a teacher, and then killed themselves. One of those boys was in a Bible study the week before he did that, and the person conducting the Bible study stopped and said, somebody here is either thinking about killing themselves or killing someone else. And they gave an invitation for a long period of time and pled with somebody to respond, and they didn't. And the very next week, They went out and killed all of these people. God was putting a roadblock in that young man's life. God was dealing with him and trying to turn him from that. It was not God who led him to kill people and then kill himself and send himself to hell. No, God tried to stop him. But you know what? There's other people who went ahead and killed someone and yet turned to the Lord, and God used it. God can use even the things that the devil does in our life, but that doesn't mean God caused it. And in the same way, Satan has caused people to be sick, to be paralyzed, to have cancer. And when people get in those terrible situations, they cry out to God. They turn to God. God answers their prayer. They may get gloriously saved. They may learn that they were just a self-centered person before, that they didn't care about God or other people. They may learn things through their infirmities. And because of that, they turn around and start crediting God with giving them this sickness. God would no more give them that sickness to humble them than he would cause them to murder someone to humble them. That is not true. And see, the thing that makes all of this work for me and makes it all come together is that I have come to realize that healing is a part of Christ's atonement. 
just as much as forgiveness of sins. In the same way as I should resist sin, I should resist sickness. I shouldn't accept it. In the same way that I wouldn't just say, well, God, I know that you could help me to not sin, but I don't know if you want me to not sin. Maybe it's your will for me to sin. See, nobody would advocate that type of an attitude. And yet, modern-day Christianity does exactly that when it comes to healing. God, we know you can. If it's your will, we ask you to heal us. And then they just leave it up there. And if they get healed, then it must have been God's will. If they don't, then it must not have been God's will. That's as wrong as a person saying, God, if you don't want me to go out and commit adultery, then stop me. And if they don't do it, well, then they say, thank you, God, for stopping me. But if they do it, well, then they say, it must not have been God's will for me not to commit adultery. See, we would never say that because adultery is sin. But sickness, they see that as something that is optional. No, healing is paid for just as much as forgiveness of sin is. And therefore, we ought to hate sickness and hate disease. You know, as long as you can tolerate sickness, you will. As long as a person can tolerate sin... They will. But when you reach a place where I'm not living like this, I will not do it. I'll die before I go out and do this. You know what? You'll start seeing sin diminished in your life. And when you get to that attitude that I will not put up with sickness and disease, I resist it. You'll start seeing healing manifest itself in your life. Now, there's more to it than this. We're going to continue to talk about a number of things. We're going to talk about Why isn't every person healed? We're going to talk about laws that govern healing and things like this. There's much more to learn, but I really believe that this has to be a foundation in my life. And again, I'd go back to the very logic that I used at the beginning of this teaching, that uh, I am seeing a tremendous amount of victory in the area of healing personally and in me ministering to other people. Unless you have better results then I do. You need to consider what I'm saying right here. In my life, which is manifesting a great degree of victory in this area, I consider this to be the foundational truth that makes everything else work, that Jesus bore my stripes on his body to heal my body just as much as he died to forgive my sins. And this is not only true of me, but I have studied the healing ministries of many ministers And without exception, the people who see the great miracle crusades and the healing power of God manifest on a regular basis. I'm not talking about just every once in a while. I mean, even an old blind squirrel will come up with a nut every once in a while. But you know what? For a person to walk in victory on a consistent basis and see healings not only for themselves but for other people, across the board, I have not found one person who sees consistent miracles of healing, who does not believe that healing is a part of the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. They believe it's always God's will to heal, just the same as it's always God's will to save. And until you get that attitude, then Satan is always going to make you passive. I go back to that James 4, 7. You have to resist the devil and he will flee from you. If healing is from God and sickness is from the devil, you have to have a clear distinction between that and then you have to resist the devil. The word resist means to actively fight against. 
It doesn't mean passively. You can't just say, if it's your will. You have to know what God's will is. He says in 3 John, verse 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. It is God's will for you to be well. God wants you well. 